0: Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues and we go deep with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. I caught up with my guest today, the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, just after he left the stage at the Climate Action Conference in D.C. This was a two-day UN-backed conference with representatives from local and national governments, the business sector, civil society, NGOs, and philanthropies all gathered to discuss strategies to implement the Paris Climate Agreement. And now, just some quick background. The cornerstone of the Paris Climate Agreement are a set of commitments by each government to take certain actions or meet specific goals. And taken together, these actions and pledges can meaningfully alter the current climate change trajectory. That is, of course, if these commitments and pledges are actually implemented. And the goal of this conference was to bring together stakeholders from disparate sectors to make the commitments of the Paris Accord a reality. So enter the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, to this conversation. He details the specific actions that USDA is taking to implement the U.S. government's commitments at Paris. And those are technically pretty interesting, but what I found so enlightening in his comments is that it suggests that there is a bureaucratic shift underway at USDA to mainstream climate imperatives throughout the department. And I think this shift at USDA is likely one manifestation of a trend that we are seeing throughout the U.S. government in which the imperatives of confronting climate change are being mainstreamed throughout the whole of government. It's not just the EPA or the Department of Energy or Interior. Rather, every branch of government is taking this on in their own differentiated way. And that, I think, is a pretty interesting shift that we're experiencing. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to check out our archive, subscribe on iTunes, get the app. You can also get in touch with me if you want to suggest someone I should interview or have any question on your mind about anything at all. I love hearing from you. And as regular listeners know, I typically post longer conversations with foreign policy thought leaders about their lives and careers every Monday. And on Thursday, I post these kinds of shorter, topical conversations about something happening in the news around the world. Uh, I will gladly invert the schedule for a cabinet secretary. And now here is U.S. Department of Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting season four, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.
1: Well, I think it's important to send the message that uh, U.S. farmers, ranchers, producers, and forested landowners are committed uh, to doing our part uh, to not only adapt and mitigate to a changing climate, but also to mitigate and reduce the emissions related to agriculture and forestry. Uh, That's why... Uh, We are working with producers across the United States and forested landowners to reduce the emissions related to agriculture. Uh, We are currently, uh, with practices, uh, essentially absorbing about 60 million metric tons of uh, CO2 equivalents. Uh, We want to double that rate by the year 2025, and we put together a very aggressive set of building blocks uh, focused on a variety of aspects of agriculture with very targeted goals, uh, which we believe will allow us to get to that Uh, to that goal.
0: Right. Because because the overall U.S. goal that President Obama announced as part of the Paris Agreement is a 26 percent reduction of emissions uh, by 2025. Uh, And you're saying that you see USDA's role as part of this as being something of of, uh, adding more sort of carbon sinks to to the U.S. landscape. Is that part of it?
1: Right. And we think we can reduce uh, uh, emissions connected to the production of food. Uh, and forestry in this country, uh, so that we, if we meet our goal and when we meet our goal, we will have contributed a 2% overall economy wide reduction uh, towards that 26% reduction.
0: Explain to me, you know, take me through, walk me through some of the details of what it involves.
1: Sure. Uh, it involves, first and foremost, a commitment to better soil health, uh, looking and focusing on no on, on till uh, and cover crop uh, processes. Uh, we have roughly 67 million acres enrolled in no till today. We'd like to see that increase to 100 million acres. We'd like to continue to see the kind of expansion of cover crops we're currently seeing with a 350% increase in the last couple of years in acres committed to cover crops. We Mm -hmm. want our farmers to do a better job of utilizing uh, the water that we have through more efficient irrigation systems. Nitrogen stewardship is very important, uh, right rate, right time, right amount, uh, right location, livestock management, uh, rotational grazing. We think we can increase rotational grazing on 20 million acres over the course of uh, the next uh, 10 to 15 years, uh, making sure our conservation programs are targeted on the most sensitive land from a conservation perspective. We'd like to see uh, more land uh, basically put in our CRP program uh, that is environmentally sensitive. Uh, and finally, focusing on on private forest growth, uh, better stewardship of our own forests and urban forests. Uh, we'd like to see 100,000 trees planted in our cities. Uh, we'd like to see uh, reforestation taking place in our U.S. forest lands, and uh, a commitment to renewable energy. All of that would mm-hmm. combine uh, to meet that goal of uh, doubling the reduction of uh, uh, greenhouse gas So emissions. you're going to have
0: to explain what some of those mean for those of us who are, uh, you know, not not um, conversant in the farming and agriculture technology. What is cover crop, and what do you mean by no-till lands, and, and how does that fit into this? Well, no-till scheme?
1: basically it involves not disrupting the land uh, in order to plant the crop. We now have Processes by which you can plant corn, soybeans, and so forth without necessarily disturb, uh, disturbing uh, the land. Uh, when you basically uh, till the land, you essentially expose it. Uh, you expose uh, soil uh, erosion. Uh, you, you expose... Uh, you, you don't use all the organic material uh, that's produced, uh, and the result is that uh, the, the health of the soil, uh, it's not as resilient uh, as it needs to be, and that, that becomes a very important component Uh, of resiliency and and productivity. Cover crops, basically, uh, to the extent that you plant cover crops, obviously, that's going to be sequestering carbon uh, as well. It also creates, I think, uh, a protection against uh, soil erosion. Uh, And these cover crops can oftentimes turn into a cash crop as well uh, as we're developing markets. On the nitrogen stewardship, it means, basically, as you're applying uh, uh, nitrogen uh, manure, uh, as you're applying fertilizer on your land, You do it in only the amount that your land actually needs, understanding uh, and appreciating that every acre of land has its own characteristics and its own character. The more you understand about the land, the more precise you can be with the application of uh, fertilizer. And that, of course, will reduce the need for fertilizer, which in turn reduces the emissions connected with the production of fertilizer. Livestock management, it's just simply about moving the cows around from time to time so that they don't overgraze in one particular area, allowing uh, all the grazing areas to continue to be uh, sequesters of carbon. And the forestry issue is obviously uh, maintaining the health of our forests so that the carbon that's stored in our trees is retained. Uh, This is certainly true in the western part of the United States where we're faced with uh, some serious forest fire issues because uh, of not uh, in part managing uh, the uh, forests over the last uh, Many decades, uh, we're doing a better job today, uh, but we need to do and continue to do a better job over the time.
0: Um, I, I guess what's interesting to me about the fact that you're at this conference, as well as uh, the budget director Sean Donovan's at the conference, I mean, it, it sort of suggests to me that the Obama administration is not necessarily siloing um, climate action to any one part of the government, not not sort of giving the responsibility of of implementing the Paris Agreement to any one part of the government, but seems to be sort of mainstreaming it throughout various parts of uh, the, the federal government uh, as well, which seems to me, I don't know, almost like a, like a shift, like going forward in the next administration, if it's a Democrat, can we expect to see that perhaps each cabinet has its own sort of uh, priorities on climate that it's implementing in its own unique way?
1: Well, I would hope we would continue to see a commitment in order to maintain uh, America's leadership internationally in this issue. We would not have had a Paris agreement but for President Obama's leadership, and he would not have been in a position to provide that leadership if we hadn't had a very aggressive goal of a twenty six, twenty eight percent reduction overall in the u s economy. And every part of the economy has to play its 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 part, it has to provide its fair share and contribute its fair share towards that, and certainly not the least of which is agriculture and forestry. And I think the president also is deeply concerned about maintaining the economy that we have, which is why he is focused, and and Sean Donovan spoke about resilience. Uh, In the ag space, we have climate hubs where we're doing research, assessments of each region of the country, identifying strategies for how uh, farmers can adapt and mitigate to a changing climate so they can continue to be productive. Why is that important? Because we have a huge challenge globally of producing more food for an ever-increasing world population, Uh, it is estimated we need a 60 to 70 percent increase in productivity in order to meet uh, the needs of 9 billion plus people, especially as we see emerging middle classes in Asia, urbanization, which will uh, result in more caloric intake. Uh, It's going to be a very uh, significant challenge, but a great opportunity for American agriculture. And I think to me, that's what the president has been stressing, that this this change doesn't necessarily have to be uh, something that's a negative. In fact, it is a positive. You're going to see innovation. You're going to see new machinery. You're going to see new manufacturing, new products, new ways to do things. And that is what has kept the American economy going over the last several hundred years. It's uh, allowed us to be an innovator and a creator and a maker.
0: Uh, so you've been in the administration, you know, since basically the, the beginning, right? Um, yes. How has um your focus or the, or the Department of Agriculture's focus on climate issues changed or evolved over the last eight years?
1: Well, I think it's a recognition of the need for us to be at the table. Uh, I think sometimes there's a tendency to, to be critical of agriculture in, in relationship to climate and in, in relationship to emissions. And I just, uh, in talking to the group today, I urge them to be more positive in their uh, in their approach to farmers. So that they're not defensive about this issue. I think farmers are very interested in information as to how they can be more productive, very interested in information as to how they deal with the uh, variations of weather patterns and more intense storms and floods and drought uh, so that they're prepared to continue to be productive, uh, not only for their own personal operation, but the satisfaction that they have of knowing that they're feeding the, this country and feeding the world.
0: Have climate imperatives changed the bureaucracy of the Department of Agriculture in any sort of meaningful way over the last eight years? Like, are you doing things sort of fundamentally differently now and organized in a fundamentally different way than you were eight years ago when you started the job?
1: Well, we are for a couple of reasons. Uh, I don't know that it was necessarily motivated by climate. I think we recognize the need for collaboration and for uh, working uh, across mission areas in order to be more efficient users of uh, resources. Uh, We have done this in relationship to trying to get messages to areas that have been persistently poor that may not have participated in in USDA programs simply because they didn't have access or didn't have uh, understanding of these programs. Uh, On the climate side, I would say that uh, the fact that we have uh, these 10 building blocks, it really does bring together a number of mission areas. It brings together the Forest Service, it brings together uh, our conservation folks. It brings together the, the financing, all of this through our uh, farm credit uh, and rural development efforts. And so uh, it does provide for a, a, a more collaborative approach. And I think that's frankly a more effective uh, and more interesting and more innovative approach to how you solve a problem.
0: So it's sort of like been mainstream throughout the the department as opposed to being like, you know, the silo of one particularly one particular bureau of the department.
1: No question. I think virtually every major mission area is involved in this effort. Uh, in order to do any of this, farmers have to have credit. Uh, farm service agencies provide that credit. In order to do this, they have to have the technical ass- assistance to know what to do. That's where NRCS comes into play. NRCS needs to have the research uh, uh, to know Sorry, what what's to, farmers to do. What's NRCS? Uh, it's the National Conservation uh, uh, Resource Service. It's the folks who go out in the field, work with farmers to figure out how best to conserve the soil, how best to utilize water resources, how best to set aside, um, and protect wetlands, uh, how best to, uh, create buffers and repairing buffers that will allow, um, uh, prevent soil erosion, things of that nature.
0: It's just kind of interesting to me, I guess, that one of the largest government agencies, which USDA is, um, you know, is sort of reorganizing itself. That doesn't really, I think, happen easily in, in bureaucracies, but it's, it's sort of interesting to me that you have this really large government agency that is, you know, all of a sudden, you know, sudden over eight years starting to take on the, you know, the, the climate imperative.
1: Well, uh, I think it's a, a reflection of the fact that we've had consistency in leadership Uh, I've been there for eight years, almost eight years. Uh, Many of the undersecretaries have been there for an extended period of time. And I think the the career and the politicals have joined together and understand what the goal is. Uh, We're seeing some very innovative tools that are being produced. I mean, literally uh, the ability of of farmers to go on the Web uh, and be able to calculate uh, the impacts and effects of certain practices on their farm to determine how they can be a contributor to this reduction. In greenhouse gas emissions how they can actually quantify uh, and we're also creating uh new uh ways in which they can profit financially from all of this through the development of ecosystem markets to the extent that you can quantify verify and, and uh, market or measure a conservation benefit then you can go out into the marketplace and you can find a corporation that wants to purchase that benefit to satisfy some regulatory responsibility or to satisfy a social responsibility that they've established as as part of their corporate uh, corporate responsibility. So we're we're looking for innovative ways and creative ways to encourage producers to do more of this while recognizing that they obviously need to be hmm. economically sustainable as well as environmentally sustainable. So it's
0: sort of like what you know what's more popularly known like the carbon credit system but for ecological sustainability.
1: Well, that's right. I mean there's there're water credits, there are habitat credits, there're uh, carbon credits, their, uh, their soil conservation credits. I mean, there's a series of ways uh, in which this can be done. In fact, uh, Howard Buffett came to our uh, Outlook Forum last uh, February and basically made the case that conservation can actually be profitable, that actually if you do conservation right, you can be paid for it and you can also see highly uh, in- high increases in productivity on your land for crops that you are producing. So we're trying to make the case that you don't have to economically sacrifice in order to do right by, uh, by society.
0: Um, And in what ways is USDA working with other countries uh, around the world to help them fulfill, um, you know, their differentiated responsibilities under the Paris Agreement? I mean, one of the cornerstones of the Paris Agreement was, you know, that wealthier countries, countries with the technical know-how would help those that want to rapidly develop and and grow in sustainable ways to do so in ways that are are carbon um, conscious. Um, so how, is, how is USDA um, sort of implementing that half of the, the Paris deal?
1: Well, four ways. One, uh, we were one of the founding members of the Global Research Alliance, and now over 40 countries that are working collaboratively to share research on rice production, crop production, animal production, and nutrient management. Uh, and we're collaborating with our research to make sure that we don't duplicate or replicate uh, research so that we can accelerate the pace of change. Two, uh, we're opening up the vaults of our research uh, that's been done in the past through an open data initiative, making uh, the information that we're developing from our own research more accessible and more available. Three, uh, were one of the founding members of the Climate Smart Agricultural Alliance. Now over 100 countries and organizations combining together uh, to focus on best practices. And and four, we're reaching out to individual countries. Uh, Recently made the uh, suggestion to the Minister of Agriculture in Cuba. Uh, to travel with me to Puerto Rico uh, later in May uh, to look at our climate sub-hub there to determine how best they can take the information from that hub hub that's looking at the Caribbean and agricultural production in the face of changing climates in the Caribbean region, uh, how they might be able to use that to be more productive in Cuba. Uh, So those are four areas, four ways in particular that we're uh, we're working collaboratively.
0: What's that subhub? Because I, I saw you mention that in your speech at the Climate Action Conference. What What do these subhubs do?
1: They basically are research centers. Again, collaborative. Uh, our research arm, uh, our conservation arm, uh, and our forest arm basically working together to do an, an assessment and an analysis of uh, the challenges that agriculture and forestry will have as a result of changing climate over time. But what is likely to happen if we see a two-degree uh, increase uh, over the next 30, 40 years? How will that impact what we grow, where we grow it, how much of it we grow? Uh, and then basically once those assessments were completed, and we've done eight of them in all regions of the country, uh, we, we basically have also focused specifically on specialty crop production in California and forestry in Michigan and the Caribbean, as I mentioned before, and hubs. Those assessments done now in all regions basically provide a platform for us to identify strategies as to how farmers individually can adapt or mitigate their operation to be more resilient. And we're getting that information out through a series of efforts through extension, uh, through the web. I mentioned that we've had uh, over 26,700 sessions on the web uh, where people are learning more about how to adapt and mitigate to a changing climate. So uh, their, their their role is to assess and educate uh, so that farmers are uh, prepared uh, with the best and latest information to make the most appropriate changes to their operation to be sustainable.
0: And you and your Cuban counterpart are going to uh, pay a visit together, you said, to this uh, the Puerto Rican sub-hub?
1: Yeah, that's the hope in, in the latter part
0: of May. Um, so, uh, I guess, what's then next for the, the Department of Agriculture in terms of implementing the Paris Agreement? I mean, you, you've laid out all these initiatives. Uh, are they all presumably up and running? I mean, what – like, how do you manage the transition to the, the next uh, administration in terms of, of maintaining well, the, the progress key, on these issues?
1: Well, the, the key was to make sure that career folks were bought into this and believe and understand the importance of it. Mm-hmm. And that we're using existing programs. Uh, the programs that have been at USDA and been utilized in USDA for years. So uh, the folks who are still going to be there after January twentieth, two thousand and seventeen, and the the programs that are still going to be there based on the Farm Bill are going to be used on in these ten building blocks to basically advance uh, towards our goal. And we've set up mileposts so the bureaucracy, the career folks, the department will have an easy score sheet to determine whether or not success is being made towards the goals that we believe. Cumulatively will result in a significant reduction in emissions, which will allow, of course, agriculture to do its fair share in the overall economic uh, mm-hmm. economy reduction.
0: I, I guess I mean I think I made this point earlier, but that's just really interesting to me that the bureaucracy of one of the largest U.S. government agencies is is just fundamentally undergoing a, a transformation uh, in in this way uh, to to be more you know climate sensitive.
1: Well, people are proud of the work that they do. They're proud when they see an expansion of. Farmers that are adopting cover crops or no-till, they're proud of the fact that they can figure out how to help a farmer get through a drought circumstance by using less water uh, or by creating uh, seed technology that uh, allows crops to grow with less water. They're very proud of working with farmers to do a better job on the land of conserving it. And uh, they understand the challenges that our farmers face economically, and they want to be helpful. Uh, And I think the whole key here is uh, not to look at this as if this is an imposition, uh, that this is some kind of additional burden uh, that's going to make it harder for farmers. I think we need to make sure that we see this in a positive light, that farmers contributing to society, farmers doing their fair share, and in doing so, frankly, uh, as they improve soil health, uh, you're going to see more productivity. As they use water more effectively, they're going to see, or nitrogen, uh, and fertilizer, they're going to see lower input costs. So what's not to like about that?
0: All right, well, Secretary Vilsack, thank you so much for speaking with me and, and for you know sharing your thoughts. You bet. Thank you. All right, thank you so much to Secretary Vilsack. I actually met him in Africa, several countries in Africa in 2008. He was on this trip that I was reporting on in which Bill Clinton was visiting his Clinton Foundation projects in several countries in Africa, and, and I, I met him a little bit then. Um, um, so as you regular listeners know, you know, sometimes I have uh, sponsors for this podcast. I love having sponsors for the podcast. It you know helps me buy equipment and, and, you know, fund some of the time it takes to put together this twice a week, every week. If you are interested, if you work for an organization that you think wants to spread its message to people like you, uh, and others out there who are interested in global affairs, who want to reach the podcast audience, uh, just let me know, send me an email via the website and I'll, I'll let you know about our, uh, sponsorship program.